got anything that's in the top 10 we've shown that if it's fully resourced we can actually get things done and it's things have moved really well i think beyond that we found the first iteration of the work plan it, well it was the first time we've we've linked policies to and, and actions to resources there was still too much in there there's still things that the committees would like to have done and totally understandably I and mean, everything in there absolutely makes sense but you just physically can't manage with the people we've got Welcome to the Bailiwick Express podcast. My name is Matt Fallays. The Express team will be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the Bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we discuss some of the most important topics we in the Bailiwick face. In the jungle of Guernsey politics, Deputy Heidi Salisbury is undoubtedly one of the biggest beasts. Now in her third term in the States, and after four years as President of the Committee for Health and Social Care, she is Vice President of the State Senior Committee, Policy and Resources. Her role, in effect as Deputy Peter Furbrush's number two, is to keep the state show on the road, to oil the wheels of government, to lead the coordination of policy between all states' committees. And she's doing it in what often sounds and feels like a particularly partisan assembly. On the day the latest government work plan was released, which she has led, we sat down with Deputy Salisbury and asked her what she thinks the plan is achieving and what next. So, in your own words, uh, as the politician who leads the development of the government work plan, can you summarise the purpose of the plan and how it's different from the many other plans which have come before. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time with the, the government work plan we're actually linking work of government to resources as far as we can. Um, before that, we've had loads of other plans. I mean, the last term we had this humongous, great policy and resource plan, which was basically everything that anybody wanted to do was in it, um, as you all well know. And anybody could say that, well, we're going to do this because it's in the policy and resource plan. So the, and that, that was something like, it, it, the purpose of a plan really makes a lot of sense in terms of giving discipline to the states and, and also helping committees do stuff by having resourcing what they want to do. But the quid pro quo of that is making sure that they're only doing what we can, we can actually get round to doing. Can you point to um, areas where the plan has achieved things? which you don't think would have been achieved without the plan? I think it's difficult to say, well, that's happened because of, because of the plan. What you can say is because committees have been less spreading themselves thin in loads of places, we've been able to absolutely focus on areas. I think the housing stuff has, has, has been helpful um, in terms of doing dealing with the uh, fibre broadband. And... and well, anything that's in the top 10, we've shown that if it's fully resourced, we can actually get things done and it's, things have moved really well. I think beyond that, we found the first iteration of the work plan, it, well, it was the first time we've, we've linked policies to and, and actions to resources. There was still too much in there. There were still things that the committees would like to have done, and totally understandably. I mean, everything in there absolutely makes sense. But you just physically can't manage with the people we've got to, to do any more. So it's really... 
understanding you know to cut your cloth to make sure you're focusing on the things that things that you believe are, are really important so the difference between what we had last year and what we've got now is we're saying look if you've started these things finish them and that's got to be the priority so yes we've got the top actions that we're asking the state to say right this is where we will throw resources at it then you've got the, the others that you that might have started and we want to see through to com- completion. And then there are others that might have been scoped but not been worked. And then there's other stuff, well, it's just a, a sentence. We've got to say, what really, can we do these now? Can we just like, wait to la- either later in the term or just push them into next term? So that's really an area where a lot of change has happened. And, and, and dealing with extant resolutions, saying, you know, why do we still need that one? Is it, is it just fallen away? So we've reduced those by well, over 100. Are you um, saying you think the current states are generally better at prioritising? I, well, whether it's whether previous um, states had that opportunity or not, they might have been just as good. I just think that the, the mechanism to support them is different. And I think that that is helping committees. And I've been pleased to hear committees say, well, we're not doing that when some states members said, oh, we should be looking at this. I well, sorry, it's not in the government work plan. If you want that, then bring it to the government work to an amendment or something to the government work plan. Say you want that there and then we can debate whether that is something we should be doing. But it's given, I think one thing it has given is that discipline that hasn't been there before. And it doesn't mean that things won't change and they clearly they do. I mean, we don't. You know, we've seen Ukraine happen and uh, the invasion earlier this year. We we know things 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 change, and it's it's definitely not something that that is uh, stuck on and printed off on a piece of paper and left on a shelf. It's it's very much a living document. I think that's really important to get across. So we call it government work plan, but really it is the program of government every every year, and hopefully by the beginning of next term we've got a good basis for the new states to say, OK, this is where we're starting from. What direction do we want to go now? Is it the same or not? So and every state might want to change what they do. They have done every, in every state I've been in. Uh, but hopefully this is the first time it's a good basis for how to run a government in a different sort of way. But pulling together a plan like this, which works across the whole of government, yeah. is painstaking and at times is like wading through treacle. Can I suggest that it might also be that that you have the combination of temperament and experience that has allowed this plan to work in ways which perhaps previous plans haven't? It's not so much what's in the plan, perhaps, then, as the people involved, or in particular the person who's leading it. I mean, I have to say that, I mean, it was in my manifesto, I said I could see how we need to be more, government needs to be more focused and, and, and do things in, in a more in a logical way. For me, it was sort of, that's where it had been frustration in previous states. It's like, well, where's that structure to, to know what we're doing is that we're prioritising things in, in the system that we've got. Well, we don't have a party system. We don't have manifestos to a great extent uh, you know, in terms of a party machine creating a manifesto that it will then supposedly follow through in the next term. We're kind of having to create our own manifesto with the people around us. But I suppose really trying to put that process in at the start of term and then developing that as it goes along, I think is the best best way of doing it. It's not less on ideological grounds. It's more on, well, what do we identify as things that are most important? As you say, we don't have established political parties. 
but certainly observing from the outside this does look like a fairly partisan states quite a tribal mm. state so you're painting a picture perhaps of a more disciplined state which understands the need to prioritize but if you're putting together a plan that works across government the tribal <laughs> partisan nature of the states must actually be an additional complication yeah and, and i think you're right i think it's it's more tribal than i've seen in previous terms um but at the end of the day people have got to come back to the states to get um, consent. So that's where it, it, it comes together. And I think that's what we're trying to do here, to say, look, it's a state's plan, it's not PNR's plan, but and then the assembly decides what, it's, what, it, what, what it wants. We've got parties, but none of them are, hold a majority. And there are, there are views, um, very different views um, within the states, but it's the states will have spoken. And from that, it gives then the backing for committees to do what's in that plan so in some ways it helps committees more by having that the states to say yes we support it i mean still there'll be people in the states who don't support it and they won't be happy but it is that consensus government that we've got that and and that's that's what we're working with now so that's i think is the best way of dealing with that that tribalism you are trying to build consensus partly because you think that's the best way to govern and partly because you're leading the government work plan mm. and, and that's the way it has to work. Um, but you recognise that th this is quite a tribal state. I mean, is that, is, that a, is that frustrating for you? Are you constantly having to pull the states back towards consensus in a way perhaps that you didn't think you would have to when you took this role on? That's a really interesting point. I think, I think that is why... You know, you will see in, in the work plan, it's not PNR saying these are the top 10, agree with them or not. We're actually saying, look, this is from the ground up from committees. Now the states, you approve it. I think I think that's that is the best way, as I say, of, of dealing with it under the system. But, uh, you know, but I mean, we've always had um, members with different opinions, which is which is great. Um, I think it, it's we're kind of this. There are nascent parties, but we've not got that disciplined um, party system yet so it, it's all very much um, a bit of a hybrid from, from that point of view which makes it quite difficult I think we're probably in a transitional period whether it's transitional into more of a party system or transitional out of it I don't know at this stage um, I, I and I don't know where I stand on, on, on parties either I see that discipline in terms of in theory being able to determine the people that you want to stand under your party banner and making sure that they're the right fit to govern. So there's kind of that um, filter system before people get elected. But at the same time, what I like about this system, um, the states is being, as an individual, you can put, you can stand for it, you believe in, and show, you know, this is, these, these are my beliefs, and if you vote for me, this is what you'll get. Um, I understand the point you make that the Policy and Resources Committee is a vehicle where the government work plan is concerned and you're trying to draw together the aspirations of committees and then present it to the yeah. State Assembly for approval. But it surely does require quite a lot of ownership from the Policy and Resources Committee to lead that process. And I think I noted in the policy letter that there is a line or a sentence that, that states that the Policy and Resources Committee doesn't necessarily unanimously agree with all of the priorities that are being put forward 
what exactly does that mean? In the this is a policy letter that's owned by the policy and resources yeah. committee. Does it not have the support of of all of the five political members of that committee? I think each member has different ideas about what their priorities will be. And I've got no I've got no problem with that. I mean I. I support what we've got there in some places. I think no, I really want to go on more on that side than another side. Um, but that, but that's but that's the system of government we've got with, with people with different views. I mean, and that's what you have. And I think it, it's better for the states to determine whether they believe in the priorities or not. There might, I'm sure, there will be amendments in there that will change it. I know there are views that say we shouldn't bother with climate change and 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 all that environmental stuff, it should all be the economy. Whereas I know that no, there are others who say, look, you know, the, if we've got a hope of a future, we've got to be thinking about climate change, we've got to be thinking about the environment, because that's a way of growing um, a sustainable economy. So we've got both extremes all over the place in, in the States, and I've no idea whether that will... And I'm, well, I actually do. I, I'm sure we'll have those debate, debates when it comes to it, which is good, actually. I don't know whether the first one, it was probably a lot for, for states members with well, this time they've had another an extra year they've got had their feet under the table they've been in, in their committees they'll have a good idea about what they think is the right thing to do and what isn't and that's that's what we've got you know 40 people can decide ultimately the government work plan will be judged i suppose by the achievements of the states because it's trying to facilitate yeah uh, the the work of government and deputy furbrush the the, the PNR president, um, when the report was published um, earlier today, said that over the past 12 months he had been encouraged by what what uh, had been achieved, partly through the government work plan. And, and he talked about, as an example of what had been achieved, the ending of emergency powers for managing COVID-19, access for the bailiwick in trade in goods as part of the UK's post-Brexit arrangements and supporting the local economy through things like improved digital infrastructure. Is it unfair of me to say that doesn't, for, for what, 18, 19 months into a term of government, which was characterised as uh, a government grounded in action, that seems like quite thin gruel, doesn't it, for, uh, for the first 18, 19 months? Uh, I think that's because that's in one media release of uh, one line. I mean, uh, what I would refer you to is the what we're doing as an annual monitoring report, actually saying the progress. That runs to 22 pages and it tells what different parts of government have been doing. And it is, I'm, I think a lot has been done. I think there are certainly new members who think, oh, well, we should be able to do this. I mean, you're not in the States and then you think, well, everything, oh, we can do this, that and the other. I think it's been... A, um, some have learned well things aren't quite as simple as all that you, you know we're a government we're not a private business that go off and say right I'm going to decide I'm going to uh, move that tree from there to there and we'll do it now um, the government's got to take account of very many things and its stakeholders and the fact that they help its um, guardian of the public purse and 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 things like that but a lot of work has happened some of it is more visible to the public than others and I think there are those that think, oh, well, action means what people see. And I think that absolutely it's got to be what people see on the ground. It's knowing that we're moving there, I think, is important. And also with the work plan, which is different from previous states, we've always had, and I'm sure we will have similar this time, but we've always had, since the two terms that I was there, the get to the last 
three or four months of the term and you get loads of stuff that's thrown at you. I and mean, you will know that how many hours, are we about 80 hours of 80 days of it all stuck, stuck in the States in the last year. But having the work plan and focusing on key, key things we want to deliver should mean that we'll have a better flow of policy letters to the state. I mean, it's always difficult with the structure we've got because you kind of start with a, it takes a while for each committee to then to, to, to get into the stuff that it, it wants to do as opposed to what's in, in, inherited. But there is a lot of work I, I do know going, which is why we're, you know, we're balancing those resources. We've got, we have to balance resources both from a policy development point of view, but then the implementation. And, and that's what this plan is, is understanding. It's not just throwing policy officers at stuff. We've been great at that in the past. You know, things like SLAWS, a huge, great document, 32 resolutions in it. But that's we, we got there, we got as far as a strategy, and we got that approved, but it's then implementing it. Um, we saw that with discriminations, um, absolutely. Does that speak to a problem the states have always had, which is that they find it quite easy to commission reviews? Yeah. So you get lots of policy aspirations expressed in terms of evaluating this, developing options for this, reviewing or examining this. Um, but it's very much harder to convert that into policy outcomes and, and actions. Yeah. Now, to what extent do you think the government work plan is overcoming that? Because I, I know you will say, well, well, it's for committees to get on with, with carrying out the actions. But the plan itself does still include quite a lot of that sort of language, doesn't it? Rather than nailing itself to particular policy proposals or outcomes which obviously divide opinion there's still a lot of talk about evaluating options examining issues reviewing areas of policy which have been on the agenda in some cases for years so how do you think the the work plan is helping edge the states towards action rather than bureaucratic reviews yeah you're absolutely right it's been big frustration of mine because we had I certainly think it was the first term that I was in and we had so many strategies that you, you know there's always a strategy and everybody tapped themselves on the back and said oh we're great we've got a strategy for that and never thinking about the next bit I think that the way this will help is because we're going to make sure that we can resource the next bit of it so we understand that you know just looking at a plan isn't going to help actually get something done um, and I, I, we're also trying to get away from those big strategy documents um, and say, look, what is really pressing? What areas should we really focus on more? And I think that harks back to the whole action side of things. I mean, we know action can mean writing a plan as well. Everything's got its, its need. I mean, something like the housing, strategic housing um, indicator, that's really important. So we know that we are building the right thing. We could just go out and build stuff and then find, well, yeah, but is that really helping where we've got a very big, big issue? Um, it's going back to what, what I, I tend to say a lot, it's getting the balance right. It's neither one, th it should neither be, um, let's plan and never do anything. Neither is it, right, we've got to do that and let's just do it and not take account of different, um, all the issues that need to be overcome. It's, I think we, we have fallen into that. And I think part of the problem is that risk aversity of the states. So we've got to cover this all off. We've got to look at what, what all the potential downsides are. And oh, goodness knows how many SWOT analyses I've read in the states passing to the extent, oh, well, I don't know if we want to do any of it because we don't, it all looks too much. 
it, but it's about getting say that that balance right and understanding what what risk are we happy to accept we tend to be very risk averse and i think we can just step back a bit and be less so but every state, uh, every government in the world, to some extent, is blown off course by events. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is coming down the track towards the states over the next year or two years, which um, is, it will divide public opinion and the states will face real tests in the way that perhaps they haven't so far? What, what do you see on the horizon as likely to do that? Well, we know we've got issues around how we deal with health. I mean, I've known that. I was in health bashing on about it last term, and the fact that how we approach health might be very different. We've also got, we've got the tax review itself. I mean, that clearly is a decision that's got to be made, and it's not, not the easiest one. And every politician that goes to join the states, bar a very few, will say they don't want to increase taxes, and that's... And they're not really great at this moment in time. And that's going to be very difficult to... I mean, you're not going to please anybody if you want to increase taxes. And so any de- deputy coming in is, is is nervous about it, clearly. Your, your PNR is not going to get substantial tax increases through this state, is it? It's, we're, we're going to... We'll have to try. I mean, I think, I think that's important. But we do. We need to make a decision by the end of this year what we do. And that's a crucial thing. Um a lot of people are putting their hopes on this corporate tax review. I think it might help a bit, but we have no idea whether it will actually do with uh, the issue we've got. I think troubled people are very happy when they, they, they come in and they say, right, well, we just cut cut services. Cut what government's bloated is too much. And then they realise, well, actually, most of the government is providing direct services to people, health, education being the, the biggest. And then they realise it's not quite so simple. It's not loads of civil servants in in Frostside house that that, that is uh, causing the great spent expenditure that we have it's it's increasing um requirements from health and social care standards change you've got to meet keep up with the professional body requirements and it gets more and more and more and we, if we don't want that then what do we want guernsey to be and those are real real existential questions about future of Guernsey rather than just saying well government's too big let's cut it or or we need to provide this that and the other so let's, let's spend it saying well what do we want government to be we, we people think oh we've always got to have our reserves is, is that do we live with all these kind of reserves or do we want to be like other nations that don't don't have that um you're touching are... on resources and the states continue to have big policy ambitions in these important areas of island life but also a commitment to reducing the size of the civil service and reducing the cost of running government. Are those two things not in conflict? No, and I think what was never... Um, my concerns about last time, when there were, there were numbers bandied about, like, oh, I'll get rid of 200 people and 200 there. That's not the way of going about, about it. What, would you, what is it you, you, you're saying by that? That's really for me. It's about making government more efficient. It's not about how many numbers. It's about making more gov- government efficient and and in, as best they can in making best value for money out of taxpayers' money. That's for me. We clearly we're not as um, uh, digital as government should be. We we don't service people that to, that supports them rather than the hours of the states. 
people don't want to have to drive off to another part of the island just to sort out their their um their driving license and they'd rather do it in the peace of the comfort of their home of like what what how does it suit them and and we can we just need to think about new ways of doing stuff and and that's what that for me that's what it's about it's not about oh well we need to cut headcount it's that's pointless you cut a load of people out and then we find out that's actually counterproductive i very much feel that was a point the, the, the case with the fdp and because uh, that would start before i came to the states and you could see in certain areas we're just well we need to make savings so we won't recruit to these positions and you found that all that did was put off the inevitable and, and actually cause more problems that then had to be solved by bringing in more people so it should never be done on a headcount basis it should be done it by how can you make make things better because i i feel that if you if you get the model right this one thing i i say quite regularly actually if you get the model right the finances follow and you shouldn't be doing something just on the basis of the finances you see what, what can you do better do you think in saying that that the treasury is gradually becoming less influential in the, this states than it than it has been previously i think the important thing that we're trying to do is bring treasury into the whole sphere of, of governments in a way that so it's more balanced so we don't have just have the treasury voice which is obviously understandable spend as little as, as, little as possible it's more about well yeah but how do we provide this service then and and so uh, if we're not providing this are we are we are we doing things in, in the best way or are we causing ourselves a more problem and i think with the structure within the interim ceo is done i think he's helping that so it's no criticism of, of treasury at all it's it's making it more part of government than before perhaps that's where the previous structure was helpful in in bringing treasury into the fold rather than having it a separate body i don't know i'm, I'm not going to uh, say whatever the the current view is doing but we'll talk about that, that is one benefit of that possibly reshaping government is something you're you're leading on um, and we'll talk, we'll touch on that in a moment but some specifics in the government work plan stand out i mean very early on in in the report there is a f very striking paragraph and Deputy Fairbrush referred to this in his quotes when the, the policy letter was released. It says, the island's housing needs and the increasing cost of living are the two most pressing and immediate domestic pressures which the states must tackle. The, these things are incredibly difficult to address though for a government. Oh, absolutely. The, 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 the states have limited levers available to, to influence uh, policy in those areas um, unemployment is continuing to decline we statistically we have full employment um, we our economy is not booming but it's performing very healthily relative to most other economies is it not just inevitable that in that kind of environment where the, there are global inflation inflationary pressures housing costs will escalate significantly year on year and there will be increasing pressures on cost of living. What can the states actually do in practice to alleviate these things? You're absolutely right. I mean, this is a global issue. Um, and it's a problem facing all governments. I mean, the UK government's just been um, criticised for, for not dealing with cost of living. And they're probably saying, well, how can we deal with this, that and the other? And what, how do, because everything that government does will come at a cost. That's absolutely clear. If we're going to support people and cost of living, 
it's hard to see how you can do that without it costing government in, in some shape or form. From a housing point of view, I'm pleased the way that we're moving towards supporting affordable housing in a way that states seem to want to grasp before. I think now it's seen as an issue and um, I'm hopeful, really hopeful, that we can make a difference on that front. And that then will help. I mean, it's all part parcel cost of living. The biggest costs of people are their, their, are their houses, whether they're renting or they're buying or, or, or whatever. And I think that, that will be critical. Other things that we can help them from the time that, in terms of energy costs, but also resilience in, term, in terms of um, climate change, even it all links back to if we support people in terms of making their energies more um, economic energy efficient well that will both help that, that them and it'll help cl the climate change mitigation which we've all signed up to um, and there are elements if you see within those priority actions where they they do deal with those key issues and particularly from the cost of living point of view so the big uh, um, affordability index with housing historically has been the relationship between average earnings and housing costs, which I think now are back up to something like 16. Yeah, so the average yeah, price so. of a house is 16 times average earnings. I mean, when the states are saying here in this government work plan that housing needs must be tackled, a lot of people reading that or reading reports on that will think that what that means is that the cost of housing relative to their earnings will come down. Is that seriously? Do the, the, the states going in the in the era going to attempt to bring down that affordability index so that relative to earnings, housing becomes more affordable in a year or in two years than it is now? Of course, the index is all based on purchase price. So the price of the properties that have been bought and sold, not necessarily the average price of a or average value of a house in Guernsey. And I think that's where government can help is support, supporting people in, in terms of a, a f affordable housing um, that makes that average, that, that price, it could go down because if that's those are what purchased, doesn't mean that the innate value of somebody's house will go down. It just means that you'll have more houses on the market which people can actually afford. And, and that's, I mean, that's something I've been battering on about since I was elected, which... Um, didn't get much traction, I think, for the first first few years. But now, as I say, I'm, I'm really pleased it is. But no, none of it's easy, and it's not it's shared. I and mean, I think actually Guernsey's in, in a better place than Jersey even on on this front. And also, we've got to think about it's got to be looked at as we as we said here in terms of population immigration. What do we want that population? Do we want more and more people coming over here, or do we want people to be more productive? And and how do how do we if we don't want more and more people, how do we make people more more productive? Well. You have a happier health, for, health workforce um, environment in which people feel, you know, they're not they're living in better accommodation, that that they they're less stressed, and how can we help them from that point of view and help employers help people? It's not just about or saying we we guess we've got full employment, so we need to bring in loads and loads of people. It's about how can we make more and and support people on Ireland. But governments around the world are committing huge sums of money to try to assist uh, their um, their people with cost of living pressures. Are the states actively monitoring or actively considering what may have to be done in terms of more investment to alleviate energy bills or various other ways in which the cost of living crisis is, is likely to 
um, erupt in the, in the coming months? And might this end up being really quite costly for the states this year? Well, that's a good question. I don't know at this present moment in time. Um, I know various committees who have responsibility in that area, certainly um, Environment and Infrastructure, um, ESS very much are, are looking at that. We've got the economic um, indicator work, which is looking at well, what, what's the minimum people need to survive. And I think a lot of the, that will really help inform us about what we need to do. That might well show that we do need to in, um, increase um, benefits that we provide. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I am interested in seeing what it does actually say because from that it'll be a very good indication, quite literally, of what it, you know, how what is the landscape like out there for, for people. I mean, we've not been seeing the heights in, that the UK have seen, but you know, the potential is is absolutely there. An area you do know, like the back of your hand, is health and care. Ah, oh, well, yeah, I used to. And there's uh, there's quite a lot in the government work plan, uh, inevitably about um, about health and care, uh, including that that there is a proposal uh, framed in a, in a very specific way, but it might lead to the states starting to review the legal status of cannabis. As a, a former president of the Committee for Health and Social Care and, and in your role now where you can step back or sit above committee slightly, where do you stand on what is an increasingly uh, public issue of, of whether cannabis should be decriminalised or legalised? Yeah, I mean, that actually goes back to last term um, and the result of um, our amendment from former deputy uh, Yerby uh, about saying we need to look at this. One part that's been looked or started, which was around um, the sentencing and how we how we deal with people with small amounts of cannabis, and this is the bit that's left. So it's not something new that's put in there. It's like hi how we don't forget that bit, and I think health majority anyway of um, health committee really think that's something we should be following up. For me, it is a debate we need need to have, um, and I I yes I have read a lot about it. I do think it is absolutely worth. A debate and worth considering. Um, I can see decriminalising it possibly is, is 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 might be the way to go. But I want that work to be done so we can actually evaluate it really. What with the with the evidence there? So look, is does this make sense for Guernsey now? Um, and I think because we have to think about Guernsey where we are and our relationships with say the UK etc in, in terms of what we do um, and and also the impact you know on, on people whether whether it it does make sense so even though I was on healthy years that's something I'm happy I think that we should be doing that work and what's coming to the states now is to say we're asking the states do you agree that we should be scoping this that's it's that's where where we are we're not saying do you agree that we should be debating uh, whether it should be decriminalised or legalised? It's saying, should we start going down that road? And I, I think there is an argument, as you say, that, that for that. Um, whether, but I think it's a very polarising issue. I think a lot of people will, be, will think, no, absolutely not. And other people, a very vociferous number, who think, yes, we should. But for me, I want to know that we've thought about this in the context of Guernsey. That's going to be a very interesting debate. Another interesting um, area, health and care area in this plan, um, is that there is talk of um, investigating an insurance scheme um, for the cost of primary care, GP costs. 
I don't know whether that work was started um, during your presidency of the committee, but what sort of form could that insurance scheme take? Is this potentially leading us towards a primary insurance scheme in the same way that secondary healthcare has been funded through an insurance scheme uh, for the past 20 years or more? Yeah, I mean, that, it was started in, in the last term. You're absolutely right there. And it, we, of course, got a bit derailed by that uh, thing called uh, COVID. Uh, so that, that was put on hold for uh, a couple of years. But I'm, I'm pleased that the, the current committee are, have been taking that on. I, I suspect, and I haven't, um, I haven't heard what or seen the, the results of what they're doing yet. But, yeah, I mean, there, there are options. Either we can outsource it and have our states... Um, insurance provider i think that was tried back in the day when they were trying to bring in secretary care but that fell away i think the the potential provider pulled out that is an option or it is just saying right we do exactly you know because we have our own insurance scheme in effect now through employer employee contributions so i'm assuming it's going to be one of those two but that but is... do you think that in the kind of natural order of things that we as an island are go are moving towards putting uh, an insurance scheme around primary care costs because it's just become too unaffordable? I think we've got to always be aware of what... I mean, the biggest concern I have, is, and it links to the whole cost of living, is that increased um, gap, uh, wealth gap on the island. And we saw that happening over the last term. And I think COVID hasn't helped. And I think what we need to make sure is nobody is um, prevented from going to the doctor from, because that they can't afford it and we do hear that that is the case of some people and that is absolutely something that we should be addressing same time we've got a lot of people with private insurance so we've got to balance it and say well look if people can afford to do it and it, you know quite easily why are we then getting funding funding it in a different way i think we, we've got to look carefully at this because just by increasing contributions somewhere then loads of people then generally not it's not helping them it, it's getting that balance but absolutely we know if, with the wealth gap the the poorer you are the more likely you are to be ill anyway and we it's trying to make sure we get we, we we stop people getting to that point where you know their health it impacts both their work their health the environment and the environment they, li- they live in because they can't afford anything better all contributes them to be uh getting worse and that's for me is like the biggest thing in, in a lot of the, the stuff that we do in government just finally on the government work plan uh, it, it's been published a few days later than you intended uh, and as I understand it that may have a knock-on effect um, in terms of when it can be debated can you just explain what 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 happened there what why was it late and, and yeah what I mean might happen it was to allow um, presidents to have a sneak peek effectively or to be able to to see the um, plan before we we put it out um, the re- the reason, yeah, that that's why we why we did it. Um, what we're planning to do is instead there is meant to it's meant to be debated on on the fourteenth of June, but with the end of June um, states is very light anyway, and we thought well we can why don't we just move it to that that session and and have the debate then so effectively it's probably given states members longer to actually consider it because we could have said oh can we just like allow us to, to do it late and we'll, we'll have a shorter time between now and the states but we thought it kind of made sense given the size of it and it deals with the whole of government we should have it give people longer to consider it so, so that's why okay uh, 
finally, I want to talk um, about reshaping government, which mm -hmm. is the uh, the title that is given to the review of the machinery of government, which is going on in this term and, and which you're leading. Uh, I think I'm right in saying the Policy and Resources Committee, at least by a majority, uh, that has members who have previously declared that they are they would like the island to move more towards a cabinet system of government. Is that where that review of government is, is inevitably going to lead, do you think? I, I can't I, I don't know at this stage, but I don't know if people really understand what, what they, when they say, oh, executive or committee consensus system, the implications or where or, or what that means in practice. Because, yeah, I mean, it's great to be in charge of something and just, oh, just go and do it. That's great. And, but then you've got to step back and say, hmm, but that's what's going on in Russia. And, you know, just be careful what you wish for. And I, I think those things are quite important to, to, to understand the, you know, it, it's okay having a, that, that kind of executive system, as long as you've got the people in there that you want to be in there. If they're not the people you want, that can make it very difficult. So those are things that we, we have to consider. I mean, what I will say, I mean, <laughs> you're sat in that chair having had a very big influence in what we've got now. I don't think the system is broken. I really don't. Um, I don't think it, there are there are challenges with it, with it as well with every system of government um and but there are benefits of what we've got as well so i wouldn't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater if, if you see what i mean i think it's very much about saying well that bit doesn't work how can we do it, deal with it better and do you, do you look at jersey's ministerial system with envy no no, and I think the last few years has shown it's not necessarily a better system. And people go, they, they say, oh, COVID, we have this small group of doing such and such. Yeah, but then that was when a lot of the rest of the government went quite and quiet and down because they knew that the focus was on was on COVID. And I, I don't see, given how long it went on, I think there was more concern the longer it went on about having just a small coterie of people making decisions and I get that I don't think it's great for a long time it absolutely worked I think as, as we were dealing with with, with the uh, pandemic and, and worked quite well but as an ongoing structure I I think that would cause a bit of concern um, I think in terms of transparency it's much harder um, from a democratic point of view but the Jersey system hasn't proven itself to be any better at all and I, I, I don't I don't see that it has um, I mean we see what the, the counterpoint you've always got to remember the, the quid pro quo so you have again people talk about executive system they understand well that needs to be balanced out by a scrutiny function which is beefed up and is greater and I think um, Jersey have been really bogged down in, the, in that in the system they've had I mean you've only got to look at the hospital new hospital there and they're still still no i don't even know how far they are to uh, a spade in the ground i know you're not going to preempt the proposals that will come from the machinery of government review no. working party but you're sitting there you're chairing the meeting so you've got a good feel for the evidence you're looking at and the views of all of the other members of that group do you think it's more likely that you will propose what might be termed evolution of the committee system than a more radical uh, departure to a, a cabinet or ministerial system? 
I think evolution is better than revolution in, in any event. It's how far that evolution goes is going to be the key point. But I think it was um, Deputy Latox said, and, and it might have been in that d- debate or whenever it was, but it is about now, which is about evolution rather than revolution. I think it'd be f- if we went from one system to something completely different overnight, I think that that would be difficult. Um, I think when people, what we can do is help decision making process, which what people might think, they say, well, that's an executive system. But we've, we, I mean, the truth is we've got an executive system anyway. It, it just operates through the states. It's, it's the question is, where does that executive, that decision making, where, where do we want the balance to be? Is it more less in the states? Is it more out of the states? And that, that's what we've got to look to. It's all on a, it's all part of some kind of continuum. Okay, well, it, it, clearly the government work plan and, and the, uh, the review of the machinery of government is, is keeping you busy. You've been in the States now almost exactly 10 years. Yeah, I know. Uh, do do you exactly. still have the appetite for it do you, for another 10 years, do you think? <laughs> I, I think that would be too long, absolutely too long, yeah. Um, I just want to, I mean, I just look at it in terms of what we need to get done. Yeah, I'm like the the MyGov stuff. I'm doing machine government stuff. Other stuff where we, we can work better with um, the community third sector, with people outside government, and make it so we're all get to the point where it's is Guernsey doing something rather than what's the government doing? That's always been the bugbear in mind. People, oh, what's the government doing about that? Well, what's the government doing this about that? I'm trying to understand that because we are such a small place, we can work far more closely together. I, I can see that has been a frustration, though, for all those people outside government because they see how government does work. So those are the elements we've got to see. How can we improve so we can work better together? OK, Deputy Salisbury, thank you for your time and good luck with the government work plan debate next month. Thank you. OK, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, please like, subscribe and share. Remember, you can always hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with what's happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matt Falaise and all the Bailiwick team next week.